2: Hello and welcome all fellow lovers of life, cultivators of kindness, and keepers of the flame. This is The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com, and I am your host, Kyle Cushman. My guest today is an old friend with whom I share many great memories. She's a legend in the industry, known for her work both directly with patients and in the political arena field change. Debbie Goldsberry is an educator at Oaksterdam University and has earned many awards in recognition of her service to the cannabis community. High Times has twice named her Freedom Fighter of the Month, and she was awarded the High Times Freedom Fighter of the Year Award for 2011-2012. She's also the past recipient of the Paula Sabine Award for Women in Leadership, awarded by Normal in 2005, and was awarded the prestigious 2013 Emerald Cup Lifetime Achievement Award. She has an extensive history of involvement with cannabis policy movements, co-founding Americans for Safe Access, the Medical Cannabis Safety Council, and the Cannabis Action Network, But over the years, it has been her work with medical collectives that's kept her in touch with the heart of the matter, the patients. She's tenacious, down to earth, and the very embodiment of the phrase, good people. Today, we are discussing changing the societal fear and stigma over cannabis use into something more in line with reality, that cannabis is an incredible, broad-reaching drug that is safe and effective. We're talking about growing cannabis from counterculture to common culture. Debbie, welcome to the show today.
3: Kyle, thank you for all those kind words. Very good to be here.
2: You're very, very welcome, and they are very well earned. You know, hey, we're almost there. It's been a long, strange trip. i like to say we're almost there, or are we?
3: I know, it's complicated, right? Well, we've got two issues. One, of course, where places like California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, Alaska have legalized it or are about to, Other places like Nebraska, you know, many other places, people are being put in prison for life still for cannabis, and people are being arrested, taken to jail. Their children are being taken away. It's frankly a nightmare. I think it's going to be years before we end cannabis prohibition. And even in the states where we've legalized it, you know, we have to pass the laws, and then we have to write and implement the regulations that make the laws work. And in California, as we've seen with medical marijuana, we passed that law back in 96. Well, our state government only finally implemented it like two weeks ago. It took almost 20 years to implement. it.
2: What a travesty.
3: Yes. Right. It's crazy. So this is the thing. We can't get compliant. We can't forget that we're advocates, even if we're business people first. You know, let's be advocates second or let's be advocates first and business people second. But, yeah, the fight is far from over.
2: I'm so glad you brought that up in that vein because, you know, I'm getting ready to do an interview with Jeff Mazansky who served over 20 years in prison for a nonviolent marijuana possession offense and, well, I just want to ask you first, tell the listeners how did you become a cannabis activist? What was it that made you to decide to say, this is my purpose?
3: Well, the very first time I tried cannabis, which was back in 1986, it was the height of the drug war. And the very first time I tried it, after hearing that it was this evil weed that made people crazy, one time changed my life for the better. And I couldn't believe that just a puff of cannabis actually made me feel significantly better, more connected to myself, more in my body, more functional. It couldn't be the evil weed they were telling me about, but it was. And so prohibition made no sense. Of course, I was a college student, very idealistic and studying political science and logic. And, you know, you, you can't tell a college student studying logic that the war on drugs makes sense and we have to follow it blindly. You know, I understood right away that in a democracy, if something is so wrong, if, if science shows that cannabis is medicine, if it's clear that prison overpopulating is ruining America, If the the laws are being applied widely unfairly, this is when the citizens have to enact our role in the system of checks and balances. We have to get involved to change laws that are bad. So me and my friends got very involved right from the beginning back there in the 80s.
2: Yes, you did. It's obviously very personal and intimate, these reasons why you are spending so much time with our culture. I remember back in the day uh, we met back in the old BPG days. You remember when I passed out on the table there? (laughs)
3: <laughs> oh wow. <laughs>
2: I was getting a uh, an acupuncture. Yes. I was getting an acupuncture treatment and I went lights out. Yeah, we've been doing this for a long time, you know, and with legalization seemingly well on its way to becoming a reality, do you think the new frontier for the career cannabis activist is now switching to normalization and education?
3: I think that a lot of the the advocates are going to switch into cannabis and that we need to infuse the same type of advocacy that we've been doing from sort of the grassroots nonprofit um, aspect into business. So what I'm finding is that more and more of my peers are finding positions that they can apply. You know, most of us are not just advocates. We have real jobs and real skills. So if we can find jobs where we can apply our real skills in cannabis businesses and infuse those businesses with our values, you know, advocacy, making a better America, being nice to each other, sharing, being tolerant – you know, right. that's a win-win right there. So I see my peers from advocacy getting into business and then infusing business, helping businesses develop values, you know, to save America with cannabis.
2: Right. I've often said that, you know, business is definitely not a dirty word and, and neither is money. I mean, I think it's important that some people that are in it for the right reasons stake out some of this real estate and leave less of it for the big conglomerates that want to just swallow it up. Do you yeah, think that
3: if we're afraid that big conglomerates are gonna swallow it up, let's infiltrate and let's make sure that we can infuse values into those systems and let's make sure when we shop and we spend our money that we spend at places that promote our values. So I think that as consumers and individuals we can make a big effect on what's gonna happen.
2: Absolutely. And that goes across all fields, not just cannabis. You really should think about who you're giving your money to and what they're using it for ultimately. I agree. <laughs> Do you – I'm wondering, what do you think? Will society's views on marijuana use ever become common culture instead of counterculture? Like what's it going to take to turn cannabis into something everyone's comfortable with?
3: Well, that's a really good question. I know that the stigma about cannabis use runs so deep that people are afraid to even try one puff of cannabis, even if they know that they could prevent Alzheimer's, you know, that inflammation can be prevented from taking hold in their body, things like cancer – and some of these more serious conditions might not you know might not become a part of our future if we use cannabis yet the idea of taking a puff just creates such fear among people i don't know it's almost a dirty secret or something like this and what i find is that people are more interested maybe in starting to use cannabis in forms that aren't smokable you know even if it's vaporizing i think that that has more acceptability because i think it's the act somehow of smoking you know, it's hard to make an equivalent in regular medicine or regular health care with a product that you, you know, quote, smoke, as opposed to, say, vaporized medicines, which we see a lot, or nebulized medicines, which we see. Right. I've, I've lately been trying to talk to people, seniors or novice users, and telling them, look, this is an ancient medicine. You know, they found that ancient woman in Siberia, I think it was 3,000 years old, and she was buried with her cannabis pipe and her whole plant cannabis flowers. and I talked to Ethan Russo, one of the scientists who's kind of famous for cannabis. He had gone there. He was one of the people that evaluated the historical site. He said the buds looked just like modern buds. He was shocked. You know, 3,000 years later, they just looked like an indica bud. So this this is an ancient medicine. This is not a medicine that people should be fearful of. And taking a puff of cannabis a day prevents Alzheimer's. Taking a puff of cannabis a day gets you a very small, regulated, modulated dosage. You know, it's not a fearful dose. It, it might actually be a good delivery method. How do we change that stigma? I, I you know.
2: Well, I can see the bumper say, sticker now. A, a puff a day keeps the doctor away.
3: Yes. <laughs> Make it up right now. Yes. Yes. Right. Exactly. Recently, where I grew up, the more I got involved in advocacy. And I was training the staff of the first dispensary over, over there. They have a permit. They're going to open. They're the first ones. And it's right by my father's house. And so his wife brought a group of her friends together, so women in their 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, for a coffee class, you know, to discuss marijuana because they have so many questions. And, and people really need an advocate or somebody knowledgeable to kind of sit with them and explain the medicine, explain the choices, talk about, talk about the laws, talk about the pluses, talk about the risks, you know, talk about not eating too much, talk about why a puff a day might actually be the way.
2: Um, so <laughs> that's another make good little, uh,
3: one. Make the sticker, put, um, I think these little coffee clashes where we discuss uh. cannabis with, with novice or new or interested users, maybe that's how we end the stigma, person to person.
2: You know, I really love that viral video that came out a few months ago with the three cents.
3: Gra- three- right.
2: Fun. Wasn't that fun? Um, Yes. Well, listen, this is fun, and uh, we have to take a quick break to show some love to our sponsors, and we will be right back for some more talk with Debbie Goldsberry. The
1: Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this
0: short commercial break.
1: most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go.
0: Burning issues only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Gushman only on CannabisRadio.com.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. We are speaking with Debbie Goldsberry. She is a cannabis dignitary of the highest order. Thank you so much for being here with us. I have some more interesting questions here for you. The first one, Debbie, not all law enforcement has a rigid view of marijuana consumption. Can you tell me about the time you were given a heads-up about snitches working for the DEA? Well, that
3: was a pretty strange situation in, uh, in Berkeley back in 19, well, we passed the medical cannabis in 1996, but there's still all of these people in California who use it for personal use. And way back in 1979, the voters in Berkeley had legalized cannabis for adult use. But like I was saying before, you can make a law, but if you don't make regulations that implement the law, nothing happens. So back in 79, they did not implement the law. So after we passed medical cannabis, we figured, okay, somebody else can handle kind of implementing that law. That'll take a bit. Let's go about implementing the 1979 law for adult personal use. So we created kind of a civil disobedience, but opening a dispensary once a week for adult personal users who would mm-hmm. follow a certain code of ethics.
2: Is this pre-BPG?
3: Pre-BPG. This is before we founded Berkeley Patients Group, yes. Uh-huh. And and we founded Berkeley Patients Group because of this. So we decided to kind of make a point that the voters make the law, and if the government doesn't implement the law, then it falls to the voters to implement the law. So we were actually following through on the essential part of democracy, implementing the law, mm-hmm. You know, making a point about medical marijuana too. We actually have to implement that law. We can't just pass it. Right. So we figured we'd get the 79 law up to date, implement that. It was... 97. So, you know, again, we're on this 22-year pattern of implementation, apparently. But we only opened once a week. And uh, eventually, the police just came by and said, what are you doing? They sent a sergeant and we said, well, we're just implementing the law. This is a democracy. You know, we're voters and kind of explained the program.
2: What a rebel. (laughs)
3: <laughs> this guy said, this is what the guy said. He said, look, uh, our, you know, we know about this because our snitches have been coming in. They've been trying to, you know, sell you off the river. They get paid. Right?
2: They need 50 true, bucks. Right? They're trying to earn their 50 bucks.
3: Right, right. So then he said, but we've, we've decided not to bust you guys, but I want you to know that the DEA has the same snitches. And, you know, they're probably not as nice as us. What can I say? You know, I wasn't giving them the full program telling we were, you know, had cannabis available for adults inside, you know, telling him about implementing the law and democracy and this, that, or the other. All I could say is, thank you, sir. I don't know. You know, I do appreciate it. One point your... for
2: the good guys, you know?
3: Yeah, it was cool. It was kind of cool. Absolutely. Wow. Yep. Well, you know,
2: we've got some very interesting presidential candidates standing behind the podiums this election season. Personally, I'm feeling the burn. This time next year, we'll be warming up the voter booths because uh, we're going to have a new president, and there are some major shake-ups happening in Congress as well. What changes are you hoping to see in cannabis laws and regulation in, in, let's say, the next five years with a newly elected president?
3: Well, look, I hope President Obama continues to take steps over the you know, the next period of time before his presidency is up, because we've been making leaps and bounds just now. It's like rocket speed. So I mm-hmm. think with, with continuing, you know, I would probably say behind the scenes and just keeping it real from the presidential level, things are changing rapidly. So let's see, let's see some more lightning speed before that. And I do think whoever takes the helm, let's hope it's the Democrats. We're going to continue to see this going forward because it's undeniable. It's like, you don't put the toothpaste back in the tube. We're letting people out of jail and we're freeing up families and we're ending prohibition. So I, I think it's going to continue to move forward. Of course, with support, at the executive level, things will move forward faster, and you know Congress will hopefully follow the leadership and do their job. Finally, more and more we see Congress taking baby steps, but unfortunately, they're baby steps. And then, yeah. of course, Judge Breyer, the federal judge, the other day, ruling at the judicial level, which of course is the part of the system of checks and balances. The executives are moving kind of slow, Congress moving very slow. Breyer steps up and says, "Look, this law at the federal level says." The feds aren't supposed to spend any money enforcing um, the federal laws in states that have legalized medical cannabis or adult personal use cannabis. And he enforced it at the judicial level. Amazing, because uh-huh. you know, like a, a game of Trump, he wins. He, so he is sending a signal also to Congress going, um, excuse me, but you guys have a job to do over there. You need to make the laws. And by the way, I'm going to do my job as a judge, and I'm going to start putting my foot down on on these obvious violations of um, constitutional protections. So it's been pretty cool all around.
2: It's a crazy time. I mean, we've got governors wagging their finger in the face of the president. and We've got, uh, you know, uh, state employees who won't follow the law and issue licenses that they're supposed to. But all in all, it seems like we might be in a realm of positive social change, don't you think?
3: Seems like it. (laughs) You sound a little... little, Oh, why? You know, because it goes back to the culture wars and the cannabis movement. Because here we are, you know, you and I used to work for High Times where we still both represent the counterculture side of things. We believe in in the culture. We believe in kindness and sharing and intolerance and, you know, being nice to each other, being kind. Um,
2: All the things you learned in the sandbox.
3: (laughs) Yes. And I just hope, that we can keep that as the value set as we go into legalizing marijuana because the marijuana movement has been a big voice for that overall in the culture of America, not just in the cannabis culture, in America. Really? We have been holding down the fort for the voice of being kind all these years. I mean, let's hope that people don't get too tied up into business and money or outsiders who don't share our values come in and somehow absurd, you know, take over our voices for kindness and peace and love and kindness and all that whatever yeah, all that stuff. very well said um you know so we have to uh we really have to focus on making sure that out of this all that we come out with a just a kinder america i think we can do it but that's my only hesitation it's actually going to be a job to preserve kindness as the main value behind the cannabis industry
2: Yes, very well said. What do you think 2016 holds for recreational legalization in the state of California, and how do you feel about new medical regulation?
3: Well, those are complicated questions. Um, What's going to happen for 2016, let's hope we have a good ballot initiative that we can all stand behind. Uh, There are about five different organizations writing very similar ballot language, and they're all... They're all filing, so the one that's going to win will be the one that collects the most money to raise signatures. So we're all waiting to see who's going to file something that we can afford to get passed. So it's a little complicated. We're on the edge of our seats to see who's going to pull it off. There's a lot of competency in the groups and organizations trying to do this. So personally, from a stand back and look at things, I feel pretty confident we're going to get workable language and we're going to fund it and get it passed through. So nothing. not going to
2: Right. I, I'm really hopeful that all of this that we've been fighting for all these years, like as you say, it's not just for the right to get high or to get stoned or even for the right to just not be put in jail for doing so, there are fundamental feelings that go along with this culture that we're trying to preserve. And I'm hopeful that business is not going to get in the way of letting us preserve that as well. How about we end this segment with a little nug of wisdom, Debbie? What are the most important words a person can say when they are confronted by law enforcement wanting to search their person or property?
3: The magic words, I do not consent to this search, and I choose to remain silent, and I want to see my lawyer. And then you've got to remain silent until you talk to your lawyer.
2: That's right. That's very good. Well, Debbie, our time has gone by so quickly. Uh, I want to thank you again for being here on the show and also for being such a big part of the cannabis culture and being my friend as well. Could you mention a website and or an email that people can contact you if they'd like to get some more information?
3: Well, in Oakland, I work with Magnolia Wellness, a collective here in Oakland, so magnoliawellness.org. And I'm very, your social media sites, Debbie with a Y, Goldsberry. So come find me.
2: Awesome. Debbie, this has been awesome. I want to thank you for joining us. We have to take a quick break for our sponsors once again, and we'll be right back with Ask Kyle.
1: The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. mjwellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community
2: in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you.
1: Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out
2: mjwellness.com today.
0: Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The State of Cannabis.
1: Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Gushman, only on CannabisRadio.com.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. Now it's time for the final segment of the show that I like to call Ask Kyle. This past week, I hosted an Ask Me Anything session on Reddit, and we got a ton of questions. There are some great growers out there who are eager to learn, so let's get started. First up... From L. Roselle on Reddit, I'm a little confused about curing, just to clarify. First you hang dry, then you trim it up real close, then separate into the mason jars. This is where I get confused. How much do you put in the jars? Are they stuffed loosely or packed up? When burping and checking for scent, do you open all to check or just one? How long is it until it's finished entirely? Well, Roselle here, this is a very deep discussion and a very deep subject. But I'm going to answer the questions you have here. Yes, you want to hang your plants whole until they're dry. That's typically about five to seven days on the line. Just remove the water leaves and leave all the sugar trim on for later. And when you finally do buck down the flowers off of the plant and you're ready to put them into tubs and or jars for working in them, you definitely want to pack the jars so that they are filled you don't want to pack them with any pressure, but you do want as little as air in the jars as possible. So pack your jars equally, and when burping, what I suggest you do is pack yourself a session of jars, maybe as many as you can, six or seven or ten, and that'll let you check one every three or four days. And that way you can tell if things are going well along the way. And this is how you'll learn that you've got it or you don't got it. And if you smell ammonia, you got to dump out all your jars and start over for next time. You left a little bit too much moisture in there. But as you open each jar, if it smells wonderful, you just close it back up, smoke the jar you opened, leave the others in your nice cool bud cellar. And how long is it until it's all finished entirely? Well, that really depends on you. I've known cannabis flowers to be cured for up to two years Not all strains like to be cured that long. Typically, a good, really good professional cure is only about 30 days. Two weeks is sufficient. Three to four weeks really does a good job. So you want to leave enough moisture in there to get you through about 30 days and uh, open up the jar and then you'll have to leave your buds out on the table for an hour or so before you smoke them because they should still be moist and sticky. Next question from Dabs McDuck. Just wondering if you could bless me with your technique for popping old seeds. I have TGA Subcool Space Dogs, Space Jill Seeds. I have heard fulvic acid assists this, as well as scarification, but was looking to see how someone of your caliber does things. Thanks. Scarification, I've never found to be necessary on seeds. I suppose it couldn't hurt if they were really old. Fulvic acid also is good, but you have to use it just a very low dose. I like to use a little bit of soluble seaweed because it contains hundreds of trace minerals. But what I think the best thing to do is get yourself some clean distilled water and put yourself a few drops of soluble seaweed in there and soak the seeds for 12 to 24 hours. No more than that because if they're fresh, they'll start to sprout right in the jar. And that will usually soften up the shelves and uh, assist in your germination rate and improve it quite a bit. Next question, from Lactose Free. Do spiders make good natural pesticides, not like black widows, more like daddy long legs? There are a few around my place, and I'm thinking of relocating one to my plant when it starts to grow. Well, let me just say that spiders are the only insect that when I find them in my garden, I don't kill. Uh, Spiders do eat a lot of bugs, and they are good to have around. Just make sure you're not messing with a... Brown recluse or a black widow, as you were saying. (laughs) Next question. Mr. Merck Ergel. I find the concept of veganic cultivation very interesting. Well, thank you, everybody, for your questions. If you want to submit your own questions, just go to our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash TheGrowShow or tweet your questions to at CannaRadio using hashtag TheGrowShow. We are out of time, and I want to thank our guests once again and the producers for making this show possible. Please make sure to check out my website, kylecushman.com, or you can find out where to follow me on social media and upcoming events that I'll be attending. Subscribe to my newsletter and a whole lot more. You can find new episodes of The Grow Show every Wednesday by going to cannabiseradio.com or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Thanks for joining us, everybody. I'm your host, Kyle Cushman, and as always, please stay lifted we
0: The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the Filet-O-Fish sandwich all day.